Hey, welcome to Biblical Insights. My name is Pat, and I will be your host for this evening. Uh, we're going to continue in exploring the messianic prophecies of Yeshua and, and how Old Testament prophesied New Testament fulfillments. Uh, a lot of this work that I do is uh, my focus. Obviously, m me and my wife both, our focus is looking at the Jewishness of, of our Christian faith. Uh, let's think about it for a second. The Bible was wrote by what? Jewish people. It was wrote originally to Jewish people. Uh, obviously, the gospel and salvation is to the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, but specifically, it was wrote uh, initially in the first believers uh, were, were Jewish. So to understand, and it was wrote, written in the first century uh, to Jewish believers. So it makes sense that it has this Jewish uh, flavor, this taste, uh, this feeling to it. So when we examine the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have to look through Jewish, first century Jewish eyes. And again, I think I've said it multiple times, I think we give it a disservice when we don't. Uh, because we're not getting the true flavor of what the the writers of the New Testament what they were what they're meaning. Uh, can we still understand a lot of the applications that we do from the Old Testament and the New Testament apply it to our lives today? Oh, absolutely, we can. But I think if we we look at it through the the Jewish mindset, who it was wrote for. And that's just biblical interpretation 101, understanding who, what, when, where, and why. Uh, it just expands our understanding of what the writers uh, intended. So we're going to continue that, Messianic Prophecies. And we're looking at Zechariah 12.10. And if you look at it, I think with Zechariah 12.10, it's part of one of my favorite uh, passages in it's a fulfillment in the New Testament. If you look at, let's take a look real fast and then we're going to get right into the study. So look at Matthew 24. So Matthew 24 and we're going to start in verse 29. So Matthew 24 verse 29 and you'll kind of get an idea and this is the fulfillment part. So I'm going to work from uh, work backwards. So we're going to look at Matthew 24, uh, verse 29 through 31. The interesting part about this is I think that it is absolutely teaching that, and I know that when we read the scripture, it's talking about immediately following the, the tribulation period, uh, when the second coming, when Jesus is second coming. Obviously, people know that I'm pre-trib. Uh, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, I am definitely pre-trib. And I know that this refers to the second coming. I believe that there's two separate events when it comes to the tribulation, the, the taking away the, the rapture of the church and the second coming at the end of the seven years. I believe that once the church is taken away, then we're looking at the seven years where God is focused and dealing with the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. And even some of my Jewish brothers they look at it differently, okay? Uh, I look at it differently. A lot of my pastor looks at it differently. Uh, a lot of people that I, I love and I look look up to, they look at it differently. But I think if you take everything into consideration and what the Bible actually says in context with that Jewish, first century Jewish mindset, you'll see that when Jesus came, when Jesus, Yeshua came, stepped off of his throne that the right hand of the father came down to choose his bride, which is the church. And obviously Jewish believers are part of that also. Uh, it follows that Jewish wedding feast and then takes them back to the father's house where in Matthew where it talks about in my house are, are many mansions and I go back to prepare a place for you. So where I am, I will come and receive you unto myself. So how can we as a church, as a believer, see where Jesus is unless he were raptured. So at the end of the seven years, what we're talking about right now 
is immediately, no, it's Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Okay, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man on the clouds of heaven with power and glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, <clears throat> Excuse me, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So when we look at this, we can definitely, a couple things I want to say uh, right off the bat that, that just speaks out immediately after the tribulation of those days, meaning the seven-year tribulation period. So Jesus is coming back at the very end of the seven years. Okay, that's me and my pastor. We, we don't argue on that. Okay, uh, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. So that's obvious that he's talking about at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. So we look at the next in verses 30. Uh, we look at, and what's amazing is you, you've got two Old Testament Hebrew scripture prophecies that are being fulfilled in just that one verse in Matthew 24, verse 30. The Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes uh, of the earth will mourn. Okay. First of all, when we look at the son of man, we're talking about uh, obviously Yeshua, Jesus. We'll see Jesus coming back. Okay. We'll look at later another prophecy where it talks about that we will be returning with them. So how can we return with them if we weren't with them to begin with? Okay. That's to me, that's a no brainer. That's kind of obvious, but it's a it's a direct fulfillment of Daniel 7. And we're looking at Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. We'll look at that in a second. So the Jews knew exactly what he was talking about when he, when he says, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with uh, clouds of heaven with power and glory. That was obvious that he's referring back to Daniel chapter 7. And the Jews and the scribes that were listening knew exactly what he was talking about. Basically saying, I'm the Messiah uh, I'm coming back. It, it, it's him, okay? That was, he's he's God in the flesh coming back, okay? Second part I want to point out is then all the tribes of the earth, okay? Stop right there. Tribes of the earth, talking about the 12 tribes. And this is Jesus speaking because the disciples asked him, what are the signs of you coming back, okay? And Jesus gives his description of what to look for. And we won't look into all those things that are what he's talking about right now, but you can look at all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people. He is talking to his disciples. Okay. Who are his disciples? They're Jewish. So he's going to say all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Okay. Tribes, Jews, all the tribes, not talking about the Gentiles. Okay. He's talking, he's speaking directly to the tribes of the earth, talking about the Jews. So think about it. If if it was us, the Gentiles, and we went through the tribulation period, would we be mourning? Absolutely not. If we saw Jesus coming back in the clouds, would we be mourning? No, we'd be glorious. We'd be joyful. We'd be happy. Get us out of here, okay? Because we've been expecting it. We know the Bible. We just don't know the timing of his return. So if we were Gentiles and we have a post-tribulation rapture, we would see, we wouldn't be mourning at his return. But the Jews, on the other hand, there who uh, rejected the Messiah the first time he came, will see him coming, referring, he says, and then the Son of Man coming with great power uh, and great glory. They're going to know that's that's the Messiah. That is Jesus referring back to Daniel 7. So he's they're going to know that it was him. And let's go farther. So the Gentiles, just, okay, quick, when has the Gentiles ever been referred to as a tribe? And I've, I've speak, spoken on this a couple different times. So never, okay? Never is the Gentile church, the Gentile believer, referred to as a tribe. So in all the tribes of the earth, so he's speaking to the Jews, okay? Let's just clear, boom, speaking to the Jews, will mourn, okay? They see Jesus coming back in the clouds. Okay, they know it's Yeshua, and they're mourning because they rejected him the first time. Okay, and they will see the Son of Man coming 
with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a sound of a trumpet, and they will gather whose people? Jesus's people, okay? Talking about the Jews from the four winds. Why do I say his elect from the four winds? Because we're just got done talking about the 12 tribes of the earth. So in that same breath, he's saying, and his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Will there be Gentiles? Of course there'll be Gentiles. They will be tribulation saints that will be gathered together. But the church is already with them. They came back with him. So will there be believers in the tribulation? Of course there will. Okay. These are the tribulation saints. So he's referring right here in the elect, they're the Jews. They're the Jewish people. His elect. Who did Jesus come? The salvation came to the Jews first. Also, proton, meaning especially uh, above all, above all, above all else, to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. Okay, so when he came, his elect, he's coming to gather his people, who? The Jews, because it's always to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So don't give me that the elect is the church. It's not, okay? Biblical interpretation 101, read it in context, okay? All the tribes, okay, Jews, his elect from the four winds, the Jewish people, okay? It, it, I, I don't want to step on people's toes, but we're not talking about the Calvinist view of the elect, okay? That's replacement. Martin Luther was anti-Semitic. Later on in his life, he was very anti-Semitic. So when his writings, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I mean, Try to, how, I don't see how you can argue around that and argue out of the fact that he was anti-Semitic, uh, Martin Luther was, and then John Calvin followed suit, okay? It's almost like a, a replacement. So whenever the you know, the New Testament, they're talking about the elect, they jump in as, oh, it's the Calvinists. It's the Calvinists. No, it's, it's not, okay? They're not the elect, okay? They're just, they're not, okay? It's the Jewish people. He's speaking to the Jewish people, so... Anyways, so when we look at Matthew 24, you've got two different verses or two different prophecies that are fulfilled within that one verse. And, and you look at Zechariah, okay, we can go back to Zechariah 12, verse 10. So that's why I want to look at, uh, I wanted to look at Matthew first, Zechariah 12, and then verse 10. Because that's our focus is the final recognition of the Messiah. So after all this, the Jews have rejected Jesus. And then you're going to look at, they're going to look upon him who they've pierced. Everything that the Messiah, the Messiah has done, Yeshua has done for us. It was beaten. Read Isaiah 53. Uh, beaten by his stripes, we are healed. He was beaten and whipped for our transgressions beyond recognizing who he was. I mean, meaning physically, okay? So let's look at, it's kind of hard to talk about this because it's what we did and what we are doing, our, our sin is what caused Jesus to have to come back and do this and, and lay his life down on the cross because of our sin, our deeds, our actions, our thoughts, uh, how we treat other people, okay? We are doomed, I say doomed, we are on the road to, uh, to hell, okay? We are born this way. We are bent. We have this, this nature to, to sin and to do bad things. So if, if we're left to our own device, that's where we're going. And that's the direction. And we can't, we have no choice in the matter. So when people say that uh, God's sending them to hell. They, they have no clue what they're talking about because God doesn't send anybody 
to hell. Hell was made for Satan and his demons. That's it. It wasn't meant for us. Okay. But we choose to follow Christ or we choose to reject him. And I've gotten arguments with uh, a family member before and saying that God made him a certain way that uh, he's going to hell, that God's sending him to hell and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm like, no, he, he's not. God is not sending anybody to hell. God is laid out in front of him, in front of us, salvation. This free gift that he's given us that all we have to do is embrace it. All through the Hebrew scriptures, he is offering salvation, redemption, to turn our lives around. The entire Old Testament, talking about turning, like people arguing that uh, you don't have a choice in the matter. You're either going to heaven or going to hell, that there's nothing you can do, okay? You're, you're judged already, and, and God chose certain people to go to heaven, and God chose certain people to go to hell. Well, I call, pardon me, I call BS on that, okay? Because throughout the entire Old Testament, do a study, find out how many times, turn, okay? Turn from your wicked ways, turn from your sin, turn, okay? Just do the search on that word, turn, okay? How many times it's done, or how many times it, it appears in the Old Testament, okay? And answer me this, the action of turning, okay, is, is a choice. We can, we can choose to turn or we can choose not to turn, meaning turn away from our sin, okay, and turn towards the cross, okay? It's a choice that we make. So when you say that we don't have that choice, that we're either going to heaven or going to hell outside of anything that we've done, okay, and I understand it's not by our works, okay? We're not saved by our works. We are saved by the grace alone, in, in, in Jesus alone, in, in faith alone, in the, the Bible alone. So just saved on that. That is a premise of why and how we are saved. So it has nothing to do with us. It's not good works. It's not, it's not Jesus plus something else. Uh, like the the uh, Catholics or the Mormons or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. It's a free gift, but it's still something that we have to accept and but we can reject it. okay if we if we choose to, we can reject it. Just like I can choose to uh, I don't know, do the dishes or I can choose to it's just it's that simple. It's a choice that we make. And throughout the entire Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus or, and Yahweh or God uh, uh, was telling the Jews to turn, turn away. Okay. They went into captivity. Why? Because they didn't turn away. They chose to follow and like, oh, look, look at that country over there. Oh, they have Let's embrace their gods. Let's embrace their sin. Let's intermingle. Let's do this. And God said, no, stay away from that. I have set you apart. I have sanctified you as a holy nation. Okay? Through you, you were be, you're going to be the light that's going to bring the gospel to the world. Okay? But it was a choice that they had to either follow God or not to follow God. And a lot of times it chose not to. It cost them their lives. Okay, Sad to say that uh, after Christ came and laid his life down, unless you have accepted him, and I'm talking about 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people, the Gentiles, it doesn't matter. Once he came and laid his life down as the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John the Baptist said that. All these people are lost. They are outside of the covenant. They are outside of the inheritance of the gospel of salvation if you don't accept Christ. Okay, 
I don't know how else to say that. And it's even uh, all the Jewish people after that, if they didn't accept him, then they're lost. So, so think about over the last 2,000 years, not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles, without Christ, you are outside of his covenant, outside of that intimate relationship, that fellowship with God. You are not going to inherit the kingdom of God without accepting Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior. You're outside of his will. And it's sad that our, some of our loved ones, and I'm sure you know some of your loved ones that are outside of this. And it, it's, hard to, it's hard to think about sometimes that uh, that's just how it is. And, and that's why we need, to, we need to pray that sometimes it's not us. When it comes to family members, it's not going to be us that are going to, uh, that our family members are going to listen to. It's, it's not, okay? Sometimes it will be, but then most of the time it's not going to be us, okay? It's going to be someone else. So I, I pray that uh, someone, this is my normal prayer, that somebody will come into the, the, the sphere of influence of whoever my family members are that I'm talking about. I'm not going to name any names. That they will make a difference in their life. They will shine the light of Christ. And I have no idea. I don't really know who it's going to be. It could be some stranger that walks into a store. It could be someone that meet on the street. It doesn't matter. But I pray that somebody who has the heart of Christ will influence my loved ones to turn from their lifestyle and turn towards the cross and turn towards Yeshua. A lot of times it's not going to be us, okay? It's going to be somebody from the outside who's going to do it. So I pray that over who's listening that if you have a loved one, family member, a friend, co-worker, or whatever, that's not, who doesn't know the love of Yeshua and love of God, that somebody will come into their life, whoever you feel is their, your loved one, will come into their life and share Christ's love with them. So I pray that now that if you're listening to this, that someone in your life, and I'm not prophetic, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying as you're list, as I'm listening, I'm just, God knows my heart, God knows what's going on, and that you just pray that, pray that somebody from the outside will see or will, paths will cross and share the gospel with your loved one. Because it's based on what we did and doing and our past sins for thousands of years that Christ came to reconcile us back to him, gave us a way, gave us a path to get back to him, get back into that fellowship that we desire to have. We just don't realize that that's what we're searching for but that's what we're searching for in here. Romans 1, 8, or Romans 1, okay? That we know in our heart that there is a God, okay? But we suppress him in unrighteousness because we look at the world and we look at what we want, what the world has, just like the Israelites did. They wanted, oh, we want a king. No, you don't want a king. You have me. And this is what Yeshua, this is what Yahweh telling them, no, you don't want a king, okay, you have me. But then they kept saying, no, look at this country, look at these people, look at our neighbors over there. They have a king, I want a king, okay? It's like everything, oh, I want what the Joneses want. Oh, look at what the Joneses have, I want that. No, God said, I am sufficient, okay? But they gave him a king, and it became very corrupt, Saul. So look at us now, okay? Christ is sufficient, but what do we want? We want what the world wants, okay? 
just like they were sanctified and they were set apart for a mission and for a purpose, so are we. Okay, once we come, we become believers, we are set apart and sanctified for a reason. We are supposed to be salt and light. Okay, if the salt loses its flavor, we're supposed to be the salt. Okay, and same thing with the Jews. The Jews were supposed to be the salt and the light of the world. They were supposed to go out and because of them, bring the gospel to all ends of the earth. First in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaritan, and then all the ends of the earth. That's what they were supposed to do. Okay. But if the salt loses its flavor, meaning we are the salt, if if that means we're useless, that that our witness is without power. It is absolutely useless. That's what it means when the salt loses its flavor. That we are a useless witness. Okay? Because what does salt do? Salt is a preservative and it preserves, okay? And we're supposed to be a light a light for other people, okay? By our actions, they should look at us and know there's something different of how I used to be and how I am now. F-bombs came out of my mouth regular basis, two or three times a sentence, okay? It was easy. It was normal. Now, every time I hear it, it's like chalkboard, like fingernails on a chalkboard. I can't stand it. Okay, it reminds me of a, a, an old time. Okay, just like my wife listens to, or if we happen to listen to, or, or we hear like an old 80s rock and roll or whatever, it reminds us of a past. Okay, and the things that we did back in our past. And we want to stay away from that because we're, we are a new creation. We are new creatures in Christ. Okay, we are no longer that old person that we are now new because. We've looked upon, we look at the cross, and we have taken him, okay, Yeshua, and we have invited him into our lives, okay? And that is a love that we need to share. And that's why when we look at these prophecies in the Old Testament, and we see them being fulfilled in the New Testament, which is just a continuation of the story. It's not that the Old Testament is, oh, it's old, outdated, antiquated. We don't need that anymore. No, it is just a continuation of the story of God, okay? So he is just continuing. Jesus came not to fulfill the law. He didn't come to abandon it and destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. It is Judaism, biblical Judaism was incomplete until Christ came. Christ came and completed biblical Judaism, okay? Because the Old Testament sacrifices just weren't cutting it, okay? Goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, okay? They sinned, God killed an animal, and because of the bloodshed of that animal made skins and covered our shame, covered it, okay? Didn't remove the sin, it covered our sin, okay? So then he through the temple, we kept doing, or they kept doing this, this, this sacrifice, okay, for what reason? To cover the sin. It goes all the way back to the original sin, okay, to cover it. It wasn't until Yeshua came and laid his life down. He was the lamb who was slain. Blood had to be shed. Throughout the entire Hebrew scriptures, blood had to be shed Okay, because of our sin nature. And it was just covered until next year, covered until next year, covered until next year, until that next year Yeshua came. Okay, and then it was not just covered, it was removed if we put our trust in Him. We are no longer the wages in Romans uh, 3.23. It, we are no longer... The wages of sin is death. We are no longer under death. We are now under life in Yeshua. So he was the ultimate sacrifice. And because of that, we can live victoriously. Okay, I'm not saying uh, now you can 
claim a Corvette. I mean, that's what my pastor always says. Uh, claim, name it, claim it, name a Corvette in my name. I probably couldn't handle a Corvette. Maybe, I don't know, uh, Corvair. There you go. Uh, or a Chevette, one of those two. But when, when Yeshua came and laid his life down willingly, okay, they didn't take his life. He laid it down willingly for us that the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures can be fulfilled. And that's what we're looking at in long, that's a huge intro. But when we look at Zechariah 12, verse 10, and it says, and I will pour out on the house of David and all the inhabitants of inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me. Okay. This is God speaking. This is, this is Yahweh speaking, but he'll look on me whom they pierce. Who did they pierce? It's Jesus speaking. It's Yeshua that's speaking right now, whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him. Ooh, wait a second. Let's think about this. Read this. It's interesting. Then they will look on me, okay, first person. They will look on me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him. Okay, so you got God the Father speaking. And then it also says, yes, they will mourn for him, capital H. Okay, and the second person. So he's talking about somebody else. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Yeshua. So God the Father is saying, they will pierce me, okay? And they will look upon him and mourn. Who did they pierce? They pierced God, the Son, Yeshua. This is where God the Father and God the Son are one. In the same divine nature, but two separate persons. It's just like mind-blowing. In this one scripture right here, as one mourns for his, and finish off, uh, finish off verse 10, excuse me, as one mourns for his only son, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Here goes another doctrine you just trashed. You can't lose your salvation, because what's everlasting mean? It means forever, forever life. Okay, can't lose your salvation. Okay, as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a what? Firstborn, Zechariah 12, 10. Okay, John 3, 16, all through this. God the Father, God the Son. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. Divinity, Yeshua, praise God. That's just... I mean, there is so much when you look at the, the Jewishness of our faith. Wow. Understanding the Jewish roots of Christianity expands our knowledge and understanding of who Yeshua was and is. Was a Jew, is a Jew, will always be a Jew, okay? Love the Jewish people, okay? Pray for the Jewish people. That's the best thing we can do right now as Gentiles, believers, is pray, pray for the Jewish people to come to a saving knowledge and accept Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah. So, wow. So, Definite prophecy right there being fulfilled. We look at it in Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31. We look specifically in verse 30, Matthew 24, 30. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. Okay, we're talking about the Son of Man. So now let's look at uh, Daniel. I know this is supposed to be kind of like on Zechariah, but let's look at uh, Daniel chapter 7 and then starting excuse me, in verse 13, okay? It looks like we're kind of focusing back on Matthew 24, but we're looking at Old Testament prophecy too, 
uh, Old Testament prophecies that are being fulfilled and you and in the New Testament. They're not quite fulfilled right now. There, it's a future fulfillment, but it speaks about it in the New Testament. That is going to be a future fulfillment. But when you speak to your Jewish friends, we can look at it, say, this is what it says right here. And they're going to know, like, if you can go back 2,000 years and uh, be there when the Messiah, when, when Yeshua was speaking to his disciples and giving them the signs of what his coming is going to look like. And I'm sure these people are going, the disciples are going out when they were witnessing, were explaining this too. This is just, this is Jesus, Yeshua, talking to his disciples. And now imagine his disciples going out and saying the same thing. This is what Yeshua told me, that, and start explaining to them. And they're going to like, well, huh. It's going to be interesting. So they, the, the disciples knew exactly what, what Yeshua was talking about. So Daniel, <clears throat> excuse me, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Okay. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man, capital, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him, capitalized to, to, the Son of Man, who's a Son of Man? It is Yeshua. To the Son of Man, he came to the Ancient of the Days, and they brought to him near, or they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages, languages shall serve him. Okay? It's going to be a king. Okay? His dominion, meaning Yeshua's dominion, is an everlasting dominion. So if we look at that, okay, to all you who believe that uh, uh, you can lose your salvation. So we're looking at the word everlasting, okay? His dominion is an everlasting dominion, okay? Those who believe, uh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that he shall never perish, shall have what? Everlasting life, okay? They say, well, that's not really everlasting. That doesn't mean like forever, uh, you can still lose it. No, okay, his dominion is what? Everlasting, means forever. Oh, let's go back. Which shall not pass away. It's the same thing. Everlasting shall not pass away. It's forever, okay? Uh, and his kingdom, oh, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So Daniel 7 is another, back to Matthew 24, is just another future fulfillment of this prophecy, speaking prophetically, futuristic, that his kingdom and dominion will last forever. It shall not pass. So you can sit back and like, wow, okay? For people who, who don't really trust the Bible because, oh, it was written by man. Uh, it wasn't written by, wrote by they don't believe in the inspiration, okay? But there's so many different prophecies that are in the Hebrew Scriptures that have already come to pass that are written in the New Testament. So here's my here's here's what I say to to my unbelieving like unbelieving friends. Probably not watching this, but this is something that you can share with your unbelieving friends. And they're going to say, if they say that, that the Bible was just wrote by man, okay? Let's just go with that for a second. Bible is just wrote by, it's not inspired. But then you look at all the different prophecies that are in the Old Testament, wrote by man, that you see that came true in the New Testament. How do you argue that? Okay, it, it, it brings uh, uh, credibility to the book. So then you can go a step farther and start arguing for, okay, well, how did these men get it right? Okay, they didn't. Okay, how did they get it right? Because it's actually inspired. So it's another argument that you can use for the inspiration of the Bible. 
But back to what we were talking about. Okay, Zechariah confirms that the Messiah will be rejected by the Jewish leaders. Okay, back in Zechariah, uh, Zechariah 12.10. So back and they looked upon him whom they have pierced. This this is so just fulfilling. Just this verse alone. Okay. Speaking of God the Father speaking, talking about God the Son. And then it's just back and forth. And it's like, whoa, who was pierced? Okay. God the Father saying that he was pierced. But then uh, yes, and they will mourn for him. Who? Who's him? As one mourns for his only son. And grieve for him. As one grieves for his only son. So it, it's Yeshua that was on the cross. He was pierced. There's there's no, you, whether you believe that Yeshua was uh, uh, divine or not, there's so much proof that he was on the cross. Okay, There's just so much proof that he, he died on the cross. There's also proof in, in secular writings that that he's, he was raised from the Raised from the dead. The tomb was empty. There's, so if you really want to look at all the evidence, the evidence is there. But it, it's not just here anymore with what's going on in our culture right now. It, it's not up here. It's a heart thing. Okay? You can have this knowledge. Oh, yeah, I can believe this. But to have it down here means that you actually, my wife has actually said this, that you would actually have to bow a knee. Okay? It's not the fact that I, oh, you know what? The knowledge is up here. But when it comes down to here, there's this wide gap because for it to get here in your heart, that would mean that you would have to actually bow to something outside of yourself. Okay? You would be accountable to something that's outside of yourself. Okay? You would be accountable to somebody else. And we're not, uh, we're not willing to do that in this day right now. God told the, the Israelites that you don't need a king. The Hebrews, you don't need a king, that I am sufficient. You don't need anything else other than me. But they kept reaching out. They kept saying, I want a king. And what happened? And then they had this roller coaster effect, doing really good. And then they go down, oh, cry out to God to save us and redeem us. Boom, come back, get a prophet. Everything would be doing good. And then you're going back downhill. So they're in bondage. A lot of times and they were in captivity but so are we we are in bondage and captivity to sin but we can be set free also and it's just a matter of we need to lay our life down at the foot of the cross and give our life up for him and accept him into our life. And it's not going to be easy, okay? Especially with uh, our Jewish friends because they will totally be like rejected uh, and, and cast out. And I'm sure some... Or Gentile believers the same way, that it you will be cast out by putting your trust. It's hard uh, trying to be a Christian nowadays, uh, whether you're uh, a Gentile or whether you're a Jew or whatever, because it's starting to get worse and worse as far as the, the mockery of Christianity. It's you can't uh, speak out uh, your faith. Oh, your faith is fine. You can be a Christian all you want, but you just don't do it in public. You get behind your doors. You can be in your church and whatever church building. You can, you can practice your Christianity all you want, but not out here in the public square. And that's becoming more and more prevalent uh, with those kind of sentiments. But I say, no. I say, be a witness. Let your salt and your light be a witness, okay? To Yeshua. Let his light shine through us. Let his light shine through you and be a witness to God's just amazing acts of grace that he's had for us. 
So we also look at Zechariah that we've been told by the Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, that the Messiah would die. But now we're told in Zechariah 12.10 that it would be a violent death. Okay? But obviously, when he was pierced, he was already, Christ was already dead on the cross because of the, the, the flow of, of, of water and blood. Uh, so we know that when, when he was pierced, that it's still violent. I'm not saying it's not. Same with the scourging. Horrendous. Uh, if you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ, that's the part that I just have the hardest time watching. Uh, if I close my eyes, I can picture it, and I don't want to. I want to keep my eyes open. I don't want to think about that. But I think we need to think about that because that's what he did. That's what he went through for you and for me, uh, what he did on the cross or what he, he, he suffered. Just think about that for a second. But he was pierced. And it was the Lord who was speaking. It is Jehovah who was pierced. Again, we're told that the Messiah will be God, or, or the Messiah will be God himself. The word pierced means to thrust, thrust through. This is the fulfillment of Yeshua's crucifixion. So this part is fulfilled. So part of this scripture has already been fulfilled in Christ's first coming, okay? Because he was pierced. But then uh, when he comes back at the end in Matthew 24, at the end of the tribulation, okay, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. So it kind of gives you this, it was fulfilled 2,000 years ago on the cross, okay? The fact that he was he was pierced because they'll see that they'll re remember that Christ was on the cross. Oh, remember what those Gentiles? They'll boom. They'll realize that it was him that was on the cross. But then it'll be the fulfillment of that is when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period, and then they'll realize what they have done. So what we look at uh, Messiah's first coming would be. Uh, what Zechariah 12.10 teaches us is that the Messiah's first coming would be rejected by the leaders of Israel, by the Jewish people. Not all of them. There's a lot of believers, okay? But by the Jewish leaders that he'd be rejected. Uh, it also teaches us that the Messiah would, be, would die a violent death uh, by... He was on the cross, okay? And, and being pierced. I mean... That's part of it. He was, but he was already dead. Okay, Messiah would be both God and man. Just absolutely amazing when you start reading that with with an open heart and an open mind. When you start seeing these things, it's just like boom! It's like right there in your face. Uh, so there's so many things that you can look at when it comes to Matthew. And the other thing is, is uh, we'll, we'll look at it different. We're looking at like, uh, the Jews were looking for like two different messiahs: uh, uh, Messiah ben Joseph and Messiah ben David. Messiah ben Joseph is the suffering messiah, uh, and so Messiah ben David was the conquering messiah. So they looked at the scripture. This one's, uh, and we'll look at it not tonight, but we'll look at it. That they were looking at two different messiahs, two different events. Okay, they are two different events, but it's one messiah two different events. They were looking at two different events, two different messiahs. Okay? That's not what happened. It's two different events, but one messiah coming twice. Okay? First time he came, you saw, uh, he came as Messiah ben Joseph. Okay? The suffering messiah. Kind of interesting. People were saying, oh yeah, that's because of Joseph in, the, in uh, Genesis and, and Potiphar in a jail and being sold into slavery and stuff like that cast in the pit. Okay, that is a typology of Christ, yes. But who was David's, or not who was David, who was Yeshua's earthly father? Joseph. Okay? So when he came the first time, he came 
Messiah, son of Joseph. Messiah Ben, meaning son, Messiah, son of Joseph. It was a stepfather, okay? But it was still considered he was like adopted into that family. I'm sure that that Joseph adopted, assumed that this is my my son, okay? And and took upon himself the the role of the father on earth. So it would be fulfilled according in the Jewish eyes that when Jesus came the first time, it would be Messiah, son of Joseph. Okay? Think about it. When we start thinking about it with Jewish mindset, with the Jewish eyes, and that first century Jewish understanding, it's just like, boom, there it is. And then he's going to be coming back at the seven, after the seven years. Okay? Obviously, 2,000 plus whatever years later, when he comes back at the end of the seven-year tribulation, he's going to be coming back as Messiah ben David, meaning the conquering we're going to be coming back with him. He's going to be, first time he came into the Jerusalem with a triumphal entry on a donkey, okay? Came in peace. Next time he comes back, it's going to be riding a stallion, okay? It's going to be coming back meaning business, okay? So with that being said, uh, I think we're done for the evening. I think we understand the final recognition of the Messiah that when, when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation period, and we, like I said, in Matthew 24, uh, when he comes back and the Jews finally look at him and say, wow, it is uh, him whom they have pierced and they will mourn, they will realize. And then after that, then that heralds into the millennial kingdom. Then after Jesus, Yeshua defeats the, the armies at that time, and then we go into reigning with him for a thousand years. Okay? How glorious is that? Then they're going to realize that's the Messiah. At the end of the seven years, they see him coming in the clouds. They mourn because the Jews look at him and they realize we missed it 2,000 years ago. That was the Messiah. That was Messiah ben Joseph that came the first time. Now we're looking at Messiah ben David, the conquering Messiah. And he will bring in peace. And then he'll bring in peace where his dominion will be forever lasting. Bring in and herald in the millennial kingdom. All right, peace. Uh, I love you guys. And again, I pray that someone uh, will will come into your loved one's life and share the love of Yeshua with them. Because obviously we are not a prophet in our own lands. Uh, God bless. Mm -hmm.